0: Hello, this is Mandar Kulkarni and I welcome you all to the Agile Planet podcast. Let us start with today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Planet. Thank you for joining me. Today, my guest is Vinaya Mudlidharan. Vinaya works as a senior agile coach in Pune, India. I really want to thank her for being a guest on this podcast. Vinaya, welcome to our podcast and thanks a lot for joining us. I would really like you to give a little introduction of your overall career so that we can get started from there.
1: Sure, Mandar. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I think it's wonderful what you're doing with the Agile Planet. And I'm very happy to be a part of one of your podcasts. So uh, my name is Vinaya. Thank you for introducing me briefly, Mandar. Um, Let me talk a bit about my career graph. So I started, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've been in the IT industry. It's nearly two decades now. Mm -hmm. And I started with uh, development and delivery roles. But I soon found my passion, you know, about 10 years ago in the coaching arena. And my introduction to coaching was actually through the theory of constraints. I was part of an organization which was doing a big theory of constraints uh, implementation. And they needed coaches, you know, people people who would help others adopt those ways of working, etc. And they were looking for internal people to move over. So I really found my calling with that. And after that, you know, it's been a series of a variety of uh, ways of being leaner and agile at the workplace. So it's been uh, the theory of constraints, large scale Kanban, uh, scrum, safe, a little bit of disciplined agile. And ultimately what we're doing lately in my current organization is taking a very framework agnostic approach to agility. So uh, that's a bit of, you know, what my career has looked like. And outside of work, of course, you know, these kinds of community connects, speaking at conferences, blogging, all of those things, you know, are another avenue for my, you know, passion fragility. So that's it.
0: Great, great, great summary. And we have so many things to uh, talk about in this, uh, in this discussion. So I'm very curious about, the, the latest work that you mentioned, which is framework agnostic approach to agility. And um, in in your previous uh, career, you have worked with various frameworks and now you are uh, going with a framework agnostic approach. So it's a very interesting journey. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, you must be also having that kind of a feeling. So little bit, uh, give us the idea about this framework agnostic approach how it started, what you have learned, and what's your your own learning out of this uh, approach?
1: Yes, so I would agree with you that, you know, it's really interesting after having worked with a lot of frameworks. uh, Loosely, I would say, you know, I've not been a part of a large adaptation uh, uh, transformation where we've been very keen on checking every box of a framework, but still, you know, this approach has been uh, really left afield so our whole thinking behind this was just like product development and solutioning is an extremely complex space Mm -hmm. and there's a big degree of uh, discovery you cannot know things in advance right you have to learn by doing similarly agile transformations uh, especially for large enterprises uh, is a very complex undertaking. There are just too many variables, uh, too many things that shift all the time, etc. So we felt that there was no way we could have a framework which could tell us in advance that these are the things for us to do in order to be more agile. So we wanted to have a very emergent and discovery-based approach to the transformation itself. And that's why we said that, you know, while we have the knowledge of several frameworks, and we will leverage that we will not attach ourselves to any one particular framework we will pick and choose the right responses at the right time based on the cues that we see on the ground so that's okay. how we've had a very emergent approach to uh, agility and that's why we are framework agnostic we are not attached to any one framework but mm-hmm. of course you know if you look at uh, myself the coaches that i work with we all have uh, a lot of knowledge, experience, expertise in a variety of frameworks. So do we bring that knowledge to the table? Absolutely, yes. But we are not very really attached to any one guide, any one framework. You know, that's, that's what we are trying. And it's been a lot of fun so far. So in terms of learning for me, I think it really challenges me as a coach because there is nothing I can just refer. I can't say, oh, I look at the scrum guide and I know I need to do this next. Right. So I think it really challenges me as a coach uh, to apply myself to be very context sensitive all the time. So I think I've grown a lot in the last few years as I've taken this approach. So mm-hmm. it's been very, very exciting.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when I hear about this framework agnostic approach, um, naturally all your um, yours and your colleague coaches, Experiences and understanding about other frameworks definitely come in picture. Uh, but one uh, one question that came to my mind that when you um, when you are going with this approach and you are pick and choose depending on the project that you want to work on, uh, what are the some of the key criteria you use that if this is a project then this kind of a uh, philosophy I will use. I will not, I will refrain from using the word framework. But um, is there any um, kind of, a, I would say, uh, not a template, but a kind of a guidelines that you use while choosing the right amount of philosophy, right type of philosophy?
1: Uh, that's a really good question, Mandar. So I would say that our first uh, interactions with a group that we are starting to coach is very focused on discovering their current ways of working, Hmm. their history, their legacy, you know, and uh, there are two reasons for us to do it. One, we want to understand the context so that we can respond to the context. But second, I think, uh, from a change management perspective, and I believe in this very strongly, is that we want to be very respectful of their journey so far, because these are usually successful groups. They are not Uh, it's not that they don't know how to do the work and we're going to come and, you know, wave this magic wand and change things for them. So uh, at least to me, I think it's just, we want to meet them on an equal footing. We want to be respectful of what they've done so far. We want to be uh, cognizant of the things that they're very good at and that work so that we can weave that into the way we do the transformation uh, with them, right? So discovery, I would say, is a big uh, activity that influences what we do next with them now uh, there are we find that uh, for many of the teams that are starting from either a very organized way of working in the past very process oriented etc sometimes having slightly more uh, frameworky items helps them right having time boxes helps them laying out certain uh, principles uh, right up front helps them get make the transition so in those places we may do that There are other teams that are starting afresh. Over there, we can go a little more, uh, you know, uh, free thinking and allow them to craft their own rules right off the bat. So I would say that the context really influences a lot of what we do. uh, And the individuals that are a part of those groups influence uh, their experience to a great extent. So it really is a very, very collaborative effort. That said, there are some fundamentals that always stay, right? Uh, small batches always seem to help. Uh, Having lighter processes always seems to help. Having smaller teams seems to help. Relying on networks seems to help. So there are some of these elements that are just so fundamental to the idea of agility that they make an appearance, you know, uh, almost with every group that we engage with. I agree. I agree.
0: And now when uh, you are saying that you... Depend, or you um, build upon the experiences what the team has already done. Uh, that's that, that naturally allows you to really get a good with a good footing, good starting, good starting point. But the question is, when when the teams are new um, in general to agility, do you do you believe that they need to be trained formally in at least some fundamental principles of agile and if so how do you go about it do you insist on training it yourself do you insist on bringing outside trainers do you insist on getting basic certifications like csm or something like that what's your approach towards preparing or getting ready the team when they are new
1: again a good question so i would say that as far as the training is concerned we do have trainings and uh, we are usually looking at uh, a basic understanding of what it means to be agile and over here i like to talk about agility more than you know agile with a capital a so we talk about the manifesto we talk about the values the principles but i also like to start with why do we need agility right the whole idea of working in complex adaptive systems demands agility as a response right and then what does it mean to be agile is you know you want to do the right thing create great Mm -hmm. products but you also want to do it the right way with very sound engineering but you want to do all this really fast because you need tight feedback loops and you want to do all of these things over and over again because this product development which takes years and you know products live for many years typically so talking about what it means to be agile is a really important starting point because otherwise we've at least in my experience people get sucked into the rules a little too much and lose Mm -hmm. sight of uh, the fact that we're not trying to be compliant to something right we're not trying to say that hey I need this label of agile and you know if I do this 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 I become agile. I genuinely need agility and it is not uh, even because uh, we want bragging rights. it's because there is no other way businesses can be successful in today's environment. Mm-hmm. right? So I, I like to start there. So our training, that's it, we typically do it internally. Uh, for our coaches, we see it as a tool of relation building as well uh, with mm-hmm. the people that we' are going to coach. So from that perspective, uh, getting external trainers robs us of that opportunity to some extent. Uh, At the same time, there could be certain areas of expertise where we feel, hey, if we had this great, you know, trainer from outside come in and help us, that would be wonderful, right? So Mm -hmm. we do, it's uh, more of a pick and choose, but most of the times the basic agile introduction, overview, why we need agile is something coaches do. And we use that as a way to, you know, establish some relationship and connection with the people we are going to coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of certifications, we don't insist on any certifications. Most of the times, we recommend a lot of books, uh, some great blogs, good people to follow, you know, uh, bloggers and others. Um, That sort of thing has been more our avenue to train people up and Mm. give them avenues for self training. So we've Mm. taken that route more than uh, the certifications. There are Mm. people who find the discipline of studying for a certification. Uh, and the you know sense of accomplishment that comes from a certification, good for them, and we encourage them to do that. But uh, as as a group that is doing the transformation, certification is uh, not something that we look at in a big way.
0: Okay, okay, okay. So your your approach is uh, kind of open. Uh, those who are interested in certifications, they can go ahead with. If not, you are okay with that. Okay, great. Yeah, because um, in my experience, um, training and certification in helps in such a way that um, at least because the because organization, um, organization says that we need these kind of trainings and certifications, people take time out. Otherwise, in day-to-day uh, tyranny of urgent, <laughs> as we call it. Uh, People hardly find any time on top of that, the personal commitments and personal lives. So I I was looking at it from that perspective. But yeah, of course, if this approach has worked for you, uh, there is nothing to challenge about it. Great. So let's go back to uh, the initial part of your career where you described that you Started as a in a project where you started implementing theory of constraints, and uh, perhaps you are the only uh, coach or uh, expert whom I have talked to until now who has done formal implementation of theory of constraints. So, just give us a little bit introduction of theory of constraints, what it is, how it helps, and then. when, when you are now um, working with Agile, how Theory of Constraint and Agile works or relates to each other?
1: Okay, all right. Um, so, yes, I think that was uh, really um, uh, opportune that I was in that organization and they were looking for coaches and I could shift over uh, because I think that's influenced my uh, thinking towards Agile uh, to a great, great extent. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, so the theory of constraints, of course, was introduced by Dr. Eliyahu Goldrat through his book. Uh, it's a seminal piece of work uh, called The Goal. It was back in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. And mm-hmm. uh, one, you know, the writing style is great. It's written like a novel. So it's very easy to read. Um, I know of so many people who are not from the coaching field, or, you know, that sort of thing. But it's a business, uh, you know, Bible sort of thing. Many, many people have read The Goal. Uh, and he's written it in a way that it's so easy to read, right? So um, what the theory of constraints says uh, very, very briefly is that any system is constrained by a handful of constraints which prevent that system from reaching its uh, you know potential or uh, reaching the goals that it needs to, right? Okay. So at any given stage, you look at a system, you will be able to find the top few constraints which we need to focus on. Uh, mm-hmm. Once we start relieving those constraints, the performance, the throughput, etc., starts improving, and then it exposes the next set of constraints uh, that you need to go work on in order to further improve the throughput. So the theory or the hypothesis is that any system always has constraints, even mm-hmm. after you solve the first few constraints, the next ones emerge. So you know you have to go and look at the next constraints,
0: and okay. the other
1: philosophy that it's based on is that. You know, the chain is as strong as its weakest link. Hmm. So there's no point in trying to make improvements across the board, all across the system, because Hmm. your weakest link is going to determine how fast or how well you can do always. So -hmm. it's better to really focus your attention and your efforts on the weakest link and help that space instead of making improvements all around, uh, you know, at the beginning. So it's about whether we do local optimization, you know, each of us looks at our local area starts optimizing it, or do we look at global optimization and say that this is where the problems are, or this is where the challenges are. Let's go, you know, pay attention over there. So, so that very briefly, that's what the theory of constraints is Um, And a very good manifestation of this. You know, if any of your uh, audience would like to explore further on their own, is uh-huh. the theory of constraints talks about five focusing steps, okay. which is basically um, how do you identify a constraint? Mm. What do you do with it? You have to ensure that you have a constraint, so it you should optimize the constraint first, ensure that the constraint uh, is well utilized, right? So if I have a team that is uh, usually where the bottlenecks are. I have to ensure a smooth flow of work to that team, right? I don't want Hmm. to starve them of work for some time and suddenly load them with work. After that, I want to see how the rest of the system is subordinated to the constraint. Because the constraint is what is really slowing us down, every other uh, area of the system should ensure that this constraint uh, is well supported, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where our attention is needed. And finally, you look at how do you relieve the constraint? Can you add more capacity? Can you do some automation? You know, how do you speed up? Uh, you know, make the constraint not a constraint anymore? And then you mm-hmm. go find your next constraint. So that okay. the five focusing steps are really interesting because my first reaction, at least I think intuitively, is to say I have a constraint. I'll add more capacity, or I'll automate, or whatever, and relieve the constraint, right? So there are these other steps that really make you think that, okay, with the current system, what do I need to do differently, given that we've identified a constraint? So, you know, just okay. uh, interesting stuff to explore on your own if, uh, if you find
0: it. Uh, Absolutely. You gave a really great premiere uh, uh, to start with, uh, because sometime back when I was Uh, Working in typical waterfall style project management, theory of constraint was kind of a one-liner, two-liner introduction to me, but I have never gone into the details of understanding it. Uh, Your your explanation gave me an opportunity to peek into it, and certainly it has intrigued my uh, curiosity. I will definitely try and go and read this book of theory of constraints. Great, great, great. Yeah. Yeah, but, but again, uh, the remaining part of my question is, how do you think uh, theory of constraint relates to agility or agile uh, mindset, framework, process, whatever you want to call it?
1: Yes, so I think, um, so TOC, Lean, all of these are very, very fundamental sort of bodies of work, I would say. And uh, having knowledge of these can really help you stay focused on the fundamentals, right? Sometimes Mm. we tend to get distracted, me included, with uh, all these new buzzwords, there's constantly something that you're bombarded with. And all of it is great, but many of them are really derived works from, I would say, a slightly more fundamental uh, science, right? Mm. So I would say that the theory of constraints from that perspective uh, is a very fundamental uh, sort of approach to how do we uh, make a system go faster? And given that fast feedback loops are such a core idea for agility, right? That's what helps us be faster by having uh, a quick uh, inspect and adapt cycle. So from that perspective, I think the theory of constraints really helps us say that you know let's uh, do things like value stream mapping. Let's identify our bottlenecks. Let's focus our efforts over there because everything else we do will be thwarted by this these places where the bottlenecks are so it really helped me um, you know be biased towards taking a systemic view rather than taking very localized views so i think that is that's an influence that has stayed with me in a big big way from that perspective mm. Um, mm. and you know the goal is something i read from time to time because you tend to you know get sucked into your day <laughs> to day routine and forget So it's and thankfully it's easy to read. So it's easy to go refer back to, and you know all of that. So I think from that perspective, it really uh, helps you stay focused on what really matters, Hmm. Um, and that then gets woven into agile uh, in a very easy way, right? It helps you focus your efforts and helps you speed things up and have tighter feedback loops.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. This makes really perfect sense of what you have explained. So let's um, uh, segue to um, other frameworks that you have worked on and you have worked on um, Safe, you have worked on Discipline, Agile, all those things. Give us your, your insights about these frameworks and how do you think they are helpful, they are useful, which situations, whatever you have learned out of these frameworks.
1: Sure. So let me start with SAFE uh, because it was earlier in my uh, career. So mm-hmm. um, I think uh, when I saw SAFE and I actually attended a session from Dean Leffingville in Agile India conference, I think it was back in 2015. Um, mm. I think the SAFE uh, folks have done a really good job of uh, collating a lot of good thoughts, good approaches, And uh, the fact that they've made it uh, available—it's you know—it's like a reference guide, right? That you can go and they've made it really available. I think the research work is really solid, and it's very—it's been made very accessible. It's very well documented, and Mm -hmm. I think they've relied a lot on uh, you know the principles of product development flow by Donald Reinertson, which I love. Uh, I think that's again another fundamental piece of work. So from that perspective, I think uh, Safe has done. A really good job of collating great thoughts in one place. Um, I find it a little complicated as a, co- a f- framework, to be honest. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. large. It details out many many things. Uh, right. So I think if I take it for implementation as such, uh, mm. without applying certain filters and saying that these parts can wait for my organization. Maybe I'll just start. I like this idea, I'll just, you know, do some of these things. Then I mm. find it a little, you know, maybe it's laid out too much details. Mm. Uh that said, I must say, I know that safe is extremely popular in the industry, right? And yeah. I and I see why. I think it's a very easy transition for large enterprises from yeah. the way they are set up, from the way they operate, to start having some degree of agility. So I think it gives them that. Uh, It's like this decoder ring between Waterfall and Agile and that's (laughs) where its real uh, appeal lies. So it shows uh, senior management folks a way to understand agility through a lens that they are very familiar with. So I I see that it is extremely successful. I fully understand Mm -hmm. why. Um, uh, Would I be very excited about doing a full safe implementation? um i think uh, i would rather cherry pick a bit hmm. but but i uh, one i think they are a big commercial success i mean uh, uh, we have to acknowledge that they've done yeah. a wonderful job of being a commercial success so sure. uh, that that's my take on safe and mm-hmm. disciplined ag- agile again you know when i started out i thought it's going to be something like safe but i read the book i, I did the first certification where you just need to read the book and take a test So um, again, I think they've done a really good job of collating various approaches to agility and it's a ready reckoner, right? Mm. So right now I'm dealing with a challenge where we're trying to figure out how to do modeling for a really complex product in a more agile way. Mm. And uh, my first thought was I should read what they've written about it, you know, in the book uh, (laughs) of Disciplined Agile. So I think, again, uh, it shows a lot of industry experience. It's very pragmatic. And yeah. it gives you, it's like a decision framework, right? I really love that idea of being a decision framework and not mm-hmm. trying to say, hey, you if this, then you do, uh, you know, you always do yeah. this. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, I think, again, a great collation of um, good, successful
0: approaches. So, so all this wide experience of various frameworks, TOC, SAFE, Discipline Agile must have helped you a lot in in your development, your growth as a coach. And using a cue from there, uh, I'm coming to a very uh, intriguing point that I read in your resume that um, you have mentioned something like coach the coach. And uh, I'm really interested in learning more from you about it. So tell us more. Okay, um,
1: so I have actually led teams of coaches for a while now. I think uh, around four to five years, I've always had um, coaches reporting into me while I myself am also coaching other teams, etc. So I think uh, coaches um, coaches understand what coaching is, right? So in order to coach a coach, you have to be uh, really good at uh, the whole coaching skill. So uh, I think it it is something that has further developed my coaching skills, having coaches reporting to me, having to coach them, et cetera. So uh, I think it really demands a certain, um, you know, approach, which uh, with delivery folks, et cetera, they expect a little bit of training. They want hmm. sometimes, you know, at least in the beginning, he just give us the solution, tell us what to do, right? With yeah. coaches, uh, it is never that. These are usually very smart people, very evolved. Uh, they themselves are coaching others. So they understand the whole uh, idea of asking questions, understanding that, uh, you know, people being coached already have the answers. Your job is to surface it. So coaching them in turn, I think, has really elevated my coaching game. Uh, mm. I also find that they have a, there is a certain personality type that seems to get attracted to coaching. Uh, right. And they're really difficult to, uh, you know, convince, uh, they are sometimes very difficult to um, uh, sort of uh, help them see a different way, which is very paradoxical, because uh, I have come across several coaches who are very close to new ideas. Mm-hmm. And you know, because they come with a lot of expertise and experience themselves. So from right. that point, uh, you know, while we are able to coach others and say that, hey, you should be on a learning journey all the time, it's very yeah. difficult for ourselves to do it. So yeah. from those perspectives, I think it's it's been a challenging but very elevating sort of role that I've had. To <laughs> be.
0: Yeah, it's a very good observation that uh, coaches themselves uh, may not be open uh, as they expect others to do. It's like eating your own dog food, as they call it.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Okay, while wrapping up, uh, I want to definitely ask you about your community connect, community involvement. You mentioned about conferences, you mentioned about blogs. So tell us more about it. What are your passionate areas? What you like to write, what you like to speak, what other things you do? Uh, and that will be, that is very, very interesting part of your entire career and work. Sure,
1: thank you so much, Bandar. Um, so in terms of the community connect, uh, it's been, I think five or six years since I've started participating and, uh, you know, contributing to conferences. Uh, mm-hmm. the first one I did was a local conference in Pune and we were so excited. My, my, one of my friends and I did that. And, you know, we wanted to go all out. It was the first time we were going to present anything at a conference. So we actually mm-hmm. had hand drawn images for all mm-hmm. our slides. And we'd created a ca- character through which we were telling our story. And also, you know, we really had a lot of fun with it. And since then, there's been no looking back. You know, I had such a good time doing that. Yeah. That I've always enjoyed sharing, uh, you know, my experiences and, you know, whatever I think is worth sharing uh, with a larger community. I think one of the reasons for me to do it is, again, when you have to go and address a room full of people who know their craft, Uh, And you're trying to share your experiences, your ideas and concepts with them. You really have to do your homework well. So it's it's something that really encourages me to sharpen, you know, my messaging. Mm. So I love doing that. And I have learned a lot by going to conferences, listening to other people, what they are trying in their organization. So I I just want to be able to give back in a very small way as well to the community. Um, So that's one. Uh, the other thing, my blogs, I think uh, I'm very inconsistent. Uh, <laughs> I write, you know, uh, uh, maybe there are three months where I'm publishing three blogs and then there's a year where there's nothing. But oh, uh, but I enjoy writing. Uh, yeah. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it. So I'm guessing that it's more for myself than for others. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's mostly about agile related topics. I try to keep it short um, and, you know, uh, just, hope to convey a very small, simple message through my blogs. Mm. Uh, There's that. And then uh, my other passion, and I'm able to, uh, I find that I have more platforms to be able to contribute now is uh, women in leadership, women in technology, that sort of stream. Mm -hmm. So at work, uh, I lead the women in technology sort of chapter for us. Uh, Outside as well, I'm finding more and more places where there are people with similar interests we are doing a lot of great work. So I'm volunteering some of my time to go help out over there. So um, I really am passionate about it because after all these years, uh, we still have very, very low representation of women in STEM and in tech spaces. So I think that needs attention. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, by extension also, uh, I am an ally for some of the other communities like LGBTQ plus and other communities at work. Um, And again, I think uh, this uh, we are in 2021. Diversity (laughs) and inclusion should have been a given by now. It is not. So uh, whatever we can do, whatever little we can do, I hope we'll start moving the needle in the right direction.
0: Great, great. Wow. Naya, it has been such a pleasure in listening to all these things that you shared with us. I want to really thank you for that. I'm sure all my audience of this podcast, uh, Will enjoy uh, this interview with you, and I really want to wish you uh, best of luck for all your future uh, ventures future roles, and your role as an agile coach, as well as uh, various active roles in the community. With that, let's uh, let's wrap it up, and thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Vandar. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time talking to you.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, share and subscribe to this podcast and to this YouTube channel. Thank you.